HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit Nutrislice.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. from Inside School Food. It is January 18, 2016, our first episode for 2016. I'm Laura Stanley, back from a restful break, and I hope that yours was too. Um, We've got Dale Hayes of School Meals That Rock back with us today. Uh, Dale has become a frequent visitor to Inside School Food. This is her third time on the show. So, Dale, I think that makes you our first official regular. How's that sound to you? Sounds fabulous, Laura. <laughs> I would, there's no place I would rather be a regular. Oh, thank you. I love to hear that. Well, Happy New Year to you also, and welcome back. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better to turn to when we enter a new calendar year or gear up for a new school year, you know, as a frequent and tireless traveler to districts all over the nation. You, you really are the best person to turn to for that 60,000-foot view, which is really what I want to take today. Um, and, and Dale, as you know, we launched this show in May 2014. So since then, we've identified a lot of creative, cutting-edge strategies that really work in the challenging environment of K-12 nutrition from all over the country. Um, and in this short time, we've seen an explosion of innovation to the point that what might have been a really cool outlier idea in a handful of districts a year and a half ago might now be a mainstream trend. And you want to talk today about the biggest of these trends for 2016. So what is it? Well, I believe it's all about flavor. I think that what happens in schools mirrors what happens um, in food service in general and in how people are eating. And certainly any time we walk into a restaurant or look at a menu or uh, go online, what we see is all this discussion about layers of flavors and 
uh, flavors from different countries, different cuisines. And I think in schools, what has happened is that the focus has shifted uh, purely from meeting the guidelines and, you know, following the meal patterns and that kind of thing to making sure that food appeals to students. And I think that appeal is showing up in in a few dramatic ways. One of them is to make food more appealing Mm -hmm. um, on the line and on the tray. But really, honestly, I think all the talk these days uh, is about flavor in school meals. Right. So, and, and, and that is such refreshing news. And, and a part of me is like, whoa, it's about time because I grew up on school food where that was definitely not the emphasis. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, why is it now that school food professionals are freed up to um, win their students over with more exciting tasted, tasting food, you know, as c- commercial food service has had to for, you know, for, forever? Well, I, I think there are a lot of, uh, of, trend drivers here. Um, One of them certainly is a a focus on food waste. Um, You know, it's a national concern with, Mm -hmm. you know, people estimating that 40% of food is is grown and is never eaten, that it goes uh, to waste, that, that schools, like everybody else, really wants to find ways to get more food into kids and less food into uh, less trash into garbage cans. Mm-hmm. As I always say, it's only nutrition when they eat or drink it. So I think the sort of mega background to the whole issue is how can we get the food into kids and how can we reduce waste? Right. But as I thought about the, I thought about the question and I sort of thought, well, so so what is it? Why now? What what really is changing this? And I think first of all. There has been a shift from viewing students in school meal programs as participants to viewing them as customers. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's. I'm starting to hear that more and more. I mean, the first time doing the show that I heard someone refer to student as customer was, I think, I might have been six, you know, months into doing the show, and now I'm hearing it all the time. Um, so it's an example of, of a sort of a, a new idea that, that just kind of took off. The kid is the customer. Um, and when you talk about um, avoiding food waste, we're also talking about um, bringing up um, participation and avoiding sort of just the, the, the waste of, of the, the program. Um, and that's become more of an issue um, as we've needed to reduce sodium and meet the new nutrition, uh, nutrition regs. And, and you said that reducing sodium has really put the emphasis on flavor innovation, too. Can you talk about that? Well, in any food, reducing sodium uh, puts the emphasis on flavor. I think, you know, as in, in sort of our, uh, the, the transition in food over the past couple of decades, you know, if you put enough salt in something or enough sugar or enough fat, it's appealing to people. And when you begin to back off those things, then you have to look at, so what is it that can excite people's taste buds? Um, besides sodium, uh, fat, and sugar. And when the new guidelines, uh, when the new meal patterns came into existence and, and really backed off on the sodium as well as, um, you know, introducing some new foods, people said, oh, my goodness, if we're going to take out sodium, how are we going to make food taste like something beside cardboard? And <laughs> obviously they turned to things like um, herbs and spices, and also, I think another realization is that cooking techniques 
um, have to do ha- have a lot to do with flavor. So that one big trend I see is roasting uh, vegetables in schools, and you know, roasting vegetables with a little bit of uh, oil and and maybe some balsamic vinegar, maybe um, some uh, herbs. That brings out the inherent sweetness in the vegetable. So, so a lot of different things are going into um, an emphasis on uh, changing flavor. But you know, you said something in sort of introducing the whole topic that I think really brings up the third major reason why flavor in K twelve is has become such an issue, mm. and and that relates to. Um, customer expectation. I mean, you know, customers have much higher expectations now in terms of their food experience. Um, You know, you can even go to fast food now and put different um, toppings and different flavorings on your, you know, burger or your chicken sandwich. Mm -hmm. So, so overall, there is this enhanced or, or an expectation for enhanced quality in food. And I think we realize now that that applies to the youngest customers as well, that that children come to school with some expectations because, honestly, they've been going out to eat more than they've been eating at home. So Mm -hmm. those expectations translate to the cafeteria, the dining experience at school as well. Right. So, you know, regular listeners will have heard what you're saying before. You know, this is not a new idea. But but, but what you're saying is really changed is that it has gone from a few innovative districts um, thinking about food this way um, to, you know, it being maybe not everybody, but it's super Widespread, You know, I'm thinking of the episodes we did in 2014 with a couple of real pioneers in Scratch Cook School Meals Program. For instance, Ann Cooper has been working it for years. Um, Kent, get, uh, Kent Getson in Wenatchee, uh, Washington State, is another longtime rock star. You know, both these folks are, are CIA grads and, and, and think this way. But, but now we're seeing the kind of innovations that Ann and Kent have introduced and have been working on for years showing up everywhere. Um, you know, all obstacles be damned. Um, it's happening pretty fast. And, and I guess my question to you is, you know, how is this possible? Because not every district is, is headed up by a, a CIA-trained chef. Well, there is training, and there is more training and more training. And, and I agree that there have been, you know, there are always the rock stars and the those on the cutting edge, uh, cutting edge knives, kitchens. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they there are now so many opportunities uh, for kitchen staff to um, be trained in culinary techniques, be trained in flavor, be trained in customer service, and that training has come at all levels. I think it's important to recognize that at the same time, some of the rock stars were doing their thing, USDA, through uh, a Cooks for Kids series that came out of the National Institute. Uh, for food service management, which is now known as the Institute of Trial Nutrition. Mm-hmm. They did a whole video series, and they went around the country, and they talked to um, people in schools, and in their same community, they talked to people in uh, a um, a restaurant. So I remember one that was about pizza, and they talked about how, you know, a school was making their own uh, uh, from scratch pizza, and then they went out and, you know, went to a local pizzeria where they were, they had a uh, wood-fired pizza oven. Well, now what I see is uh, 
that some school districts now buy their pizza crust from a local um, well-known company that's yeah. true in Portland Public Schools, uh, for example, in uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So they're taking that they're they're connecting up with some of those uh, uh, food foodies in their community and bringing that into the school environment. We've also seen chefs moving um, themselves into schools, mm-hmm. and I think that chefs woke up one day and said, "Oh, wow, working in schools." That sounds like it has better hours than 80 hours in the kitchen. Um, so a number of the chefs that I've met recently are, um, are especially women and uh, mothers who thought, you know, this is the kind of job I want to have as I have a family, and uh, they're, they're actually working full-time in schools. Mm-hmm. And last, I think that uh, I, I participated in a, in a group in, in December um, at the uh, Culinary Institute of America, uh, their Healthy Kids Collaborative has established a three-year project to really look at culinary solutions. And so, you know, the Culinary Institute is not the only group to be doing this. In fact, I would argue that almost everybody right now is, is trying to jump on the bandwagon in terms of, um, you know, enhancing the culinary quality of school food. Yeah, and I, you, you said moms, but um, also dads, uh, the the, um, the classically trained chefs that we've had on the show who've decided to move into school food um, had the same concerns that a mom would, and, and they wanted more time with their kids at the better hours and, and all of that. So again, you know, I feel that when I spoke to some of these folks on the show over the last year and a half, it felt unusual to me. And what, and you know, what you're saying is, nah, it's, you know, more and more all the time. So out, outlier well, becoming mainstream. It's very exciting. It used, it used to be in a few, um, you know, used to be able to, you know, name, uh, you know, Berkeley, Boulder, Madison, you know, mm-hmm. sort of hip and innovative communities across the country. And now it's in, um, you know, West Texas. It's in uh, Arkansas. Yeah. It's uh, in Missouri. I mean, you know, in places that we don't identify as, you know, Portlandia, you know, epicenter of the foodie universe. It truly is. Um, everywhere. I mean, I'm sitting in uh, Bill in uh, Bozeman, Montana today, and here they're working with a chef from the university um, coming into K-12 to help them um, do some training with their staff. So at every level, um, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to, I don't have the data to back up this mm-hmm. suggestion, but I would say that we are, if not at the tipping point, very, very close to the tipping point. I'm so, it's so exciting to hear that. To yeah. That. It's like the chef's move to school dream realized plus because um, in addition to coming in as volunteers or occasional consultants, we have this new community of people who are actually making it their career choice. So it's very, very cool. So, so Dale, you, you, um, wanted to single out some flavor trends in particular that you see as being big and exciting. Um, so, um, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about what they are. You, 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 um, you, you, you talked to me about Asian street foods, um, having a real growing presence in schools. What, what, what is that? 
Well, first of all, just to back up for a second, mm-hmm. I, I love to pay attention to food trends in general because I love to eat and think about food and think about how people are eating. So, you know, I'm always looking at the predictions for and the look backs at, at food trends. And I think it's really obvious that um, that Asian food has been popular for a long time. But now, you know, we're moving out as a country overall to sort of explore um, you know, beyond be, beyond your local Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the things that happened is a lot of uh, Southeast Asian uh, influences. So um, we might see that in a banh mi sandwich. Mm. We might see that in a ramen noodle bar or, of course, uh, the Japanese uh, soup, which has um, become um, nearly ubiquitous uh, pho. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Where where we see those across the country is we see them in food trucks, we see them in sort of hip pop-up restaurants, and now we're seeing them in schools, which I think is really exciting. I mean, I walk into schools all the time now and see a bottle of sriracha um, on a flavor station. Um, I got a, a tweet this morning from a school district where um, today they're serving their first banh mi sandwich, uh, Vietnamese sandwich, uh, as a test in their high school. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's not totally authentic in that it has to meet, um, you know, those meal patterns we know about. Right. But it has all the base- basics. It's made on a, on a whole grain flatbread, and it has some wonderful Asian slaw in it, great way to get the vegetables. It has a lower sodium um, sliced ham. So they're taking the concept and bringing it to their school. And, and you know, two years ago, how many students um, in American uh, school cafeterias had even heard of a banh mi? It's just, it's so cool. And, and Dale, I wanted to talk about ramen in particular because the um, actually the image on the show page for today is a gorgeous um, bowl of, of ramen, um, all the veggies and stuff. And it's from a, um, a self-serve ramen bar um, coming out of one of the schools served by um, Whit- Whitson's um, Food Service. And I know you're familiar with their program. Can you, can you describe what they're doing? I think it's a fabulous concept. I actually saw it about a year and a half ago when I was uh, honored to speak at their um, back-to-school kickoffs and what they decided to do. It's Whitson's Culinary Group, uh, a family-owned management company that's really um, located in the Northeast, Mm -hmm. and they decided to roll out a ramen bar in high school because um, ramen bars are very popular in, um, in Asia, and they're much more... Mm, uh, they're much better, if I may be so bold, as mm-hmm. to say, than most people, most college students experience with ramen uh, in the United States. It's not about you know opening a package that has a few little flakes of flavoring and a right. lot of um, of uh, noodles. It's about um, the 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 authentic ramen bar, and I think authentic is is an important word we can come back to yes. if you want, uh, but. Their ramen bar is has got a great low sodium broth, and they really worked with uh, a company in Japan to develop that broth for them. And then it adds in some whole grain noodles again to follow the meal pattern. But then on top of that uh, broth and those whole grain noodles, um, they add everything else uh, from uh, that that meets. The, the meal pattern. Mm-hmm. So they might have slices of an egg, uh, of uh, a uh, 
patty. Um, they might have slices of chicken or sliced eggs, for example, in terms of the meat-meat alternate or what we would call protein. And then, of course, when you come to the vegetables, almost unlimited. I mean, you can have a variety of uh, Asian vegetables, of root vegetables. And so students go down a, ra- a ramen bar and essentially build a meal in a bowl, which is, again, one of those trends that students really, two trends that students really appreciate, um, you know, build a bowl, have everything in sort of one uh, uh, one uh, serving um, dish. But the other piece of it, and, and this generation is often called the subway generation mm-hmm. because of their love for customization. Yeah. So, you know, five kids can walk down a ramen um, uh, line and and you can have five different bowls at the end of it, right? And it's very empowering for them, especially if they're adolescents, because they they're not being told exactly what to eat. Um, they get to pick it, and and so ramen bars are not the only example of choice bars. There's even. Um, we're seeing an ascendance of something called a baked potato bar and the mac and cheese bar. Um, and, and they also offer kids, sorry, customers, um, you know, kind of more flavors and, and uh, you know, from around the world. You, you got an example to throw out there for us? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> the, um at the uh, Culinary Institute uh, meeting in December, uh, at one of the meals, there was an example of a mac and cheese bar. Well, you know, I could pretty much eat mac and cheese, I don't know, several times a week. Uh-huh. But the toppings that were provided were so interesting. They had a, they had North African toppings that you could put on it. Mm-hmm. So um, just these really um, unique and, again, deeply flavorful uh, uh, vegetables uh, that you could put on with uh, with some more uh, uh, North African flavor. They had a Middle Eastern um, uh, uh, flavor combinations as well as a Latin American. So really, they'd taken three major cu- uh, cuisines, and then they had prepared either vegetables or um, uh, uh, uh meat, uh, protein. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they had some um, ground meat, and they also had chicken and sliced pork. But anyway, things then that were that had a lot of flavor to put on top of mac and cheese, which I think we would all admit is not always got a huge amount of flavor. It just has that wonderful creaminess we yeah. all love. Yeah. So, so it's a combination of customizing of flavor and um, that um, empowerment that you talk about. But I want to add something on to your comment about empowerment because I think it really goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. For the older student, or the older customer, the teen, um, the tween to teen, I think what these concepts we've just been talking about, um, you know, ramen bars, uh, baked potato bars, they make school lunch cool again. Um, yeah. You know, quite frankly, school lunch um, hasn't been all that cool and especially isn't cool where it's sort of a, you know, herd them in and herd them out of a not recently renovated, uh, uh, you know, quote, lunchroom. Um, and so when you introduce one of these concepts, the buzz in a high school is, is palpable. You know, students are not rushing to go out the door. They're rushing to go down and, and see what's on the ramen noodle bar. It's, it's ramen noodles are the combination of something that every kid knows mm-hmm. and totally cool new. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, Dale, I want to take a quick station break, but um, we've got a couple couple more trends to talk about. So, um, folks, you're listening to Inside School Food. Dale Hayes is with us today, trend spotting about flavors um, for 2016. So stay with us. program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com. Welcome back. Um, Dale Hayes of School Meals That Rock says that the trends in school food to watch this coming year have all to do with fresh, authentic flavor. Um, As we lose more and more packaged foods, flavor becomes the package we can't see. Uh, It delivers a much more compelling message to young customers than anything um, you can print on a box or a cellophane bag. Um, Dale, there was another one that we need to get to. Um, it was it was a it's the shaker salad, which is something that um, came up on the show again in the summer of 2014 when Colleen Donnelly of In Harvest talked about it. Uh, but you tell me that si- since then, shaker salads have really taken off and they've become very diverse in terms of flavor profile. Um, you know, t- first of all, tell us what a shaker salad is and what the, you know, different iterations might look like. Shaker salad, very simply, is a salad that is uh, basically vertical rather than horizontal. So rather than putting <laughs> a salad in a sort of plastic clamshell and, you know, putting the dressing on top and then sort of mixing it up, you put all the ingredients into what you might more typically think of as something, uh, the container you would get a smoothie or a drink in. Uh, you put all your layers of salad in there, then you put the dressing if you want it on the top, and then with a lid, you shake it up, and actually, I think it's a more effective way to get the dressing over everything, but it also um, provides a more uh, walkable um, you know, grab and go kind of experience, which is one of the things that students are looking for. Mm-hmm. It started out quite simply when I first saw shaker salads, uh, I think probably 
Oh, even 2013, people were talking about just taking your your most common uh, Caesar salad or chef salad, and they were layering that um, into a shaker salad, which is nice. But then what happened, and I think this is where all these things come together, is that uh, in harvest got involved, and they started thinking about, okay, well, what other foods can we layer it in? How can we take it beyond just being something that meets a vegetable component, mm-hmm. but something that actually provides, like the ramen noodle bar or the baked potato bar, something that provides all the components in one container. Mm-hmm. So now what we see is a layer of grains, and that might be something like uh, uh, quinoa, it might be barley, it might be wheat berries, uh, you know, whole variety of grains. And then we see uh, the protein layer, and again, that might be meat or meat alternates, um, really sliced eggs, hard cooked eggs are, mm-hmm. are beautiful in a um, in a shaker salad. Um, and, and another thing that really has, I think, is coming its own in a shaker salad are uh, lentils and beans. So you know, you might have a layer of black beans and sort of a southwestern inspired salad. And then, of course, you can have. Uh, uh, fruits and vegetables of all sorts. But now I'm seeing ones, again, that, you know, are Southwestern-inspired. I've seen Asian. Um, speaking of Southwestern, actually saw a picture the other day. Essentially what it looked like it was a shaker salad that looked like the sort of um, ubiquitous seven-layer dip, um, you know, the the beans and cheese and sour cream and salsa that's, that's very popular. Oh, so like well, the taco dip, yeah. For Taco dip, yeah, yeah, popular for a reason. It tastes really good. It's a combination <laughs> of flavors. Yeah. So this was like a shaker salad that had all the layers of a seven-layer dip, and then on the top, it had whole-grain baked corn chips. Mm-hmm. So it essentially, again, was a meal in a container, and I thought, oh, I would love to have one of those. Most of these are served with, like, a longer spoon, so you can get down uh, through all the layers, but... Um, the the breakfast take on these, which I think is also um, an enormous trend, and we shouldn't leave out what's happening with breakfast, mm-hmm. are parfait. So, again, virtual layers of flavors that are easy for students to pick up and take with them. Well, and let's not forget they're called shaker salads. So I guess you don't want to shake a parfait, but the other ones are meant to be shaken up. So there's an element of fun there. Um, and we all love to play with our food, especially if we are um, students, um, you know, <laughs> K through 12. So it's, 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 it's well, pretty brilliant. I, I think that's a good point. And although you don't shake a parfait, it does. Ha- I mean, even the word parfait, to me, it sounds a little bit like a Sunday. you mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's, we're, we're talking something that is, in its very concept, fun, um, that is appealing visually because of those layers of uh, colors and different textures, and then uh, finally uh, has flavors. Actually, um, on School Meals at Rock, uh, right now I'm talking about some parfaits that are made uh, that are pancake parfaits. So you actually have a pancake, oh. Greek yogurt, and that it's made with uh, tart dried cherries. So tight, tart dried cherries are uh, now available on USDA Foods, and really? and they have this incredible flavor, beautiful profile. So, you know, whether you're having it for breakfast or lunch, this, this whole concept of um, layer, 
really layering your flavors yeah. is coming into its own. That, that's awesome. And before we sign out today, I, I want to make sure people know how to access that material on School Meals at Rock on, on Pinterest so they can see that picture. I didn't know about the cherries. That's that's very that's really cool news. Um, you know, so Inside School Food finished out uh, 2015 with our first conversations with people who work with or for some of the largest processors of foods for K through 12. So you, you probably remember that Lisa Feldman, who is culinary director for Sodexo USA, got us started. That was a great conversation. And then we followed up with, uh, in an episode with Red Gold and Riches products. Um, and for all three companies, Companies, Sodexo, Red Gold, and, and Riches, um, the, the focus is becoming not just on flavor, but authentic flavor, which is, you know, very really exciting given that these are big, big companies. Can, can you comment on that? Absolutely. And I think all those companies, as well as uh, uh, smaller uh, uh, players in the food industry, really are looking at um, not just uh, saying we're, we're focused on flavor, but really focusing on flavor. And I think it really comes full circle to how we started this conversation, which is the fact that um, young people um, do have uh, their, their, their little foodies in a lot of ways. They have expectations um, because of, of what they're experiencing in the world at large. They have an expectation of flavors. So Big companies, uh, uh, local purveyors that are interacting with schools, all of these folks are looking for those authentic experiences. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that plays into this is, is our, 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 uh, we are a country of immigrants. And, and looking at the places and the innovation that's going on in uh, some districts, especially those big and, and you might say, um, or urban uh, districts around the country really does have to do with their immigrant populations. Mm-hmm. And, and trust me, those customers want to have, um, when they come in and get a curry, they want to make sure that it has, that it's an authentic curry or a, a bon mi that tastes like uh, uh, something their grandmother might, their Vietnamese grandmother uh, might make. So I, I really do think that there is a, a growing, um, uh, a growing focus mm-hmm. and a real focus on flavor in school meals. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in terms of these these bigger companies, um, I, I feel like they're um, they're responding to to the change in the culture in terms of diversity and um, interest in authenticity and flavor, and they're also acting as change agents in that they're they're kind of facilitating. Um, this for schools. I mean, that's what Lisa Feldman was talking about, about partnerships with, with companies like um, Riches that are are themselves uh, introducing cleaner label uh, foods that can be adapted to a kind of a partial scratch situation. Um, so it's, 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 it's an exciting time. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you're always good for a solidly encouraging conversation, Dale. We could, you know, it's it's always great to talk to you um, because you're so bullish on all of the real possibilities for, for school food. Um, and you've just given me lots to follow up on in the coming year. Um, so thank you once again for, for joining us. Well, I am delighted to do that. And I'm bullish 
not because I live in La La Land. Um, I'm bullish because of what I see. And I, I see these things every time I visit a school. I'm very excited. Next week I'm going out to San Diego and I'm going to uh, visit a couple of their schools mm-hmm. and see what they're doing with the, you know, their school gardens that basically go directly onto a uh, salad bar. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I'm, as they say, I'm not making this up. It's happening in real life, and it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. It, San Diego is a district we need to catch up with because they're doing lots of cool things. So you and I should touch base when you come back. Um, so, Dale, for listeners that don't know, although I think most of them do know, tell us how we can connect with all of the material that you have made available on social media. It's a huge amount of, of really interesting and helpful stuff. Thank you. For sort of ongoing uh, pulse of what's happening in School Meals, Mm -hmm. I have School Meals That Rock on Facebook and School Meals Rock on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Love to have people follow me there. But but honestly, one of my favorite projects right now is Pinterest because... Mm -hmm. Pinterest to to me feels like a way not just to sort of, you know, throw out um, an occasional, here's a really cool thing. It's a way to document that building library of what people are doing. So um, on School Meals That Rock on Pinterest, I have boards. I actually have a Bon Me board. I haven't started a ramen noodle board yet, but I will. One of my newest boards (laughs) I'm very excited about is um, Star Wars in School Meals. Oh, Um, yes, I've been seeing those pictures, yeah. May the forks be with you. Um, (laughs) I I think Jabba the Hutt in Hummus may have gone a little too far, but uh, (laughs) there are some very exciting things that people are doing with uh, lightsabers and fruit. Um, The tart cherries that I just mentioned Mm -hmm. is is really... uh, from you know, it's it's a low, it's a USDA US grown food um, that is now available to schools through USDA, and I've just started a board um, that features that pancake parfait as well as some other things. Great, so, great. Um, I'd love for people to check those out, and more than anything, I love for them. Um, to share what they're doing. Great. You know, when, when you uh, came on for the first episode of the year last year, we posted a link to your Pinterest board. So I'm going to do that again because I'm sure there's a huge amount of new material since then. So, you know, if, if you looked at it last year, folks, you should look at it again. Um, yes, especially the Force Awakens have school breakfast bulletin <laughs> board. You need you need to check out how clever people are when it comes to their Star Wars obsession. It's true. I've seen those pictures. They're amazing. So, listeners, remember that you can also get news you can use from Inside School Food uh, nearly every day via Twitter or Facebook. So, if you want to keep up with us, um, sign up at www.insideschoolfood.com. Um, I'm Laura Stanley, uh, speaking today with Dale Hayes. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 